Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome into episode 116 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan. I'm Luke. Le- you guys are here, right? I'm here. Hi. I'm Luke Hi. Lipinski. We're going to hit our final three uh, teams and we're going to finish our summer preview series today. For some reason, Craig, who scheduled these, crammed both New York teams into the final show. We don't like New York. As, as, as if trying to create some sort of narrative about the uh, hockey teams in New York and the Calgary Flames. Uh, Eric Duhacek of the Athletic Calgary is going to join us to preview that, our 31st team in our summer preview series, although not a team we think is going to finish last by any means. Uh, before we get into this, though, have to mention, of course, the uh, passing of Dave Strader over the weekend. The Dallas Stars uh, sent out that press release Sunday morning. Uh, certainly was part of a great broadcast team when he was here with Darren Pang and then with, uh, with Tyson Nash here in uh, Phoenix working with the Coyotes. Somebody that influenced my career a lot, somebody I looked up to a lot when I got into this profession, and I was fortunate enough to get to work with him, with the Coyotes for a few years there. I just think one of the uh, the best hockey broadcasters around, and that's not that that was something I felt before I ever even knew him. Do you, just, know, who, do you know who gave him the nickname The Voice? I was I was always curious where that came from. I don't. Todd Walsh always called him that guy yeah. that's just universally respected in this business. It's just a very distinct voice, too. Like, you could instantly tell if you flipped on a game, mm-hmm. a national game, that, that Strader was calling it. Obviously called the games for uh, for the Dallas Stars for a while there, too. Just a great person to work with, a great person to get to know. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough day. He's somebody that had such a passion for hockey and was just really good at what he did. And everybody around him, you could just – you couldn't be around him and not notice the passion he had for the game and for, you know, just working with, with people in the hockey community. So – it's tough. It's it's really tough. So, I will uh, I will transition from that into the final three teams that we're going to preview, and we will start with the Rangers. And I will let uh, Craig talk about New York for a second because I know he's such a big fan of, of what they're doing there. All, th- all things New York, yes. Yeah. The team that's spinning its wheels in the mud. It's felt like this for the last couple seasons to me. Uh, I, I'll just throw out a question: Did the Rangers get better this summer? They they added Kevin Shattenkirk, obviously, but they. They moved Derek Stepan out. They they lost Antti Ranto's backup goalie there. They still have a, a pretty good guy as their starter. He's decent. Yeah. He's aging. Do they get any better this summer, in your guys' opinion? No, I f- they're a little bit different, but I don't know if they're any better uh, talent-wise or on paper than they were the years before. But I'm, I'm with you, Craig. I kind of feel the same way. Of I don't feel like this team is a cup contender, but I feel pretty confident that they'll be in the postseason, and that's really all they are to me right now. A, a postseason team that's really on the very, very, very far fringe of cup contention. <laughs> that, that is a backhanded compliment. Uh, I think, like, I understand why they made the trade with Derek Stepan in the sense that I don't understand why you trade Stepan away, but 
they had to get younger in some in some respect. They they just they never pick in the first round, so they had to make that trade to get the seventh overall pick from Arizona. They give up Ranta too, who uh, he was. When I say it like that, he sounds like a, a droid that plays goalie. But they give up Antti Ranta as well. And there were times last year where he was better than Henrik Lundqvist, where he was starting over Lundqvist because he was playing so well. I do think they're still a little bit better than they were last year, not significantly to the point where they're suddenly a cup contender, but I think we're sort of undervaluing Kevin Shattenkirk because of how bad he was with the Capitals. That's, they added a, a number one defenseman. That's that, And that's fair. I get Kevin Shattenkirk has taken a lot of criticism for what happened to Washington, and he certainly didn't make an impact on them. Um, really, either in the regular season or the postseason mm-hmm. after the trade. But I, I don't think that small sample size is fair uh, in, on which to judge him. I, I think you have to look at his entire body of work. And, and this was what the Rangers needed on their blue line. Their blue line clearly needed help, desperately needed help. And they understood that. And they added a guy who fits more in the model of what's happening today in the NHL, a guy who's mobile, a guy who can get to pucks quickly in the defensive zone and get them up to the forwards in the offensive zone. He gives them a lot of what they need. He's terrific on the power play, so he can help them in a lot of areas. But you add that piece, but you take away a center. Uh, what, what are you looking at at the center position right now? Is Mika Zibanejad a, an elite center, or is he just another guy who's not quite at that level and you don't quite have the depth that you had at the center position? You know, I understand improving the blue line, but when you take away from the other, in my mind, vital position on the ice... I don't know. It feels almost like a wash to me. Yeah, and that's kind of how I look at it as well. Of you take a, you lose a key piece, or you lose a piece in a key area, and you gain a piece in a key area. But I just, I, I, I don't feel like this team is one of the best in the league. I, I don't feel like this is a team that I would ever consider to beat Pittsburgh in a seven-game series or Washington in a seven-game series, unless it was in the second round. Or Tampa Bay in a seven-game series. Like I, just, I don't feel like they have the, enough high-end talent to get by teams that have some firepower. They, they don't really have any pure goal scorers left. I mean, Chris Kreider led the way last year with 28 goals. I don't see him as a pure goal scorer. That's not even necessarily what I see him as, as being best at, if you look at his entire game. I mean, he's, he's a good clutch performer what in the playoffs. he's best at running goalies? He's decent at that, especially if that goalie plays for Montreal. Um, he gets under the skin of the opposition over the course of a seven-game series. I mean, he's, a good, he's a good player to have, but I don't want to go into the season depending on Chris Kreider to be my number one goal scorer because I'm probably not getting enough offense. Uh, you, you can't rely on Rick Nash anymore either, right? No. Uh, no. It, it feels like he's at the end of his rope. He's fine, but again, yeah. he can't. He, he was he's so much better in Columbus. Yeah, he's not carrying the team. New York has a situation where they have a lot of good players and ex- very few great players. Yeah, their goalie has been their greatest player for the and, longest time, and it's felt that and way. And he's for still a long great, time, hasn't it? And he's still very good. I don't know if he's great anymore. I think he's very good. The problem is, is is this team good enough if he is the fifth, sixth, or seventh best goalie in the league versus the second or third or first best goalie in the league. Are they good enough elsewhere to sustain that? There's and I still think they are. That he just threw at us. A lot of numbers. This was a, number, yeah. a numbers podcast. So there'd be no math. I'll just say something. Banana. The, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of teams over these previews that are sort of similar to New York in the sense that they don't have any tremendous offensive weapons and their defense is okay. They're not anything necessarily special. But in the context of those other teams, I felt like we were always either talking about hockey clubs that were on the rise or maybe the expectations weren't quite there for them. With the Rangers, I feel like they're similar to a lot of those teams we discussed, except the expectations are always through the roof because they play in New York. And, and look, I mean, they're consistently a playoff team every single year. But they're running on a treadmill. They, just, 
Are they moving forward, or are they? I don't think they're missing the playoffs. No, and I don't And they're always either. dangerous, but they could miss the playoffs. I don't think they will. So but what's your goal as a franchise, then? If you, if you, there's somewhere deep down they have to, they have to know this, right? Okay, we're a playoff team, but we're not a cup contender. So what's your plan? What's your long-term plan? Where's this going with the Rangers? I, I don't probably know. Probably to about the second round. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I look at this team. I don't know what you do necessarily because they're not built in a way that you, makes you think they're one or they're a piece away from all of a sudden just being a perennial cup contender again. But they're also not built in a way that's easy to blow up. I think they're just kind of stuck in this. We're going to be really good, and maybe some teams get hurt around us, and we get hot at the right time, and Lundqvist steals us a couple series, and all of a sudden, poof, we're back in the cup final. That's, I mean, that's exactly it. That's what they have going for them better than most teams. They have enough players that they'll be competitive most nights, and they have a goalie that if you get into the playoffs, he could win you a couple games in any series almost by himself if he's on his game. So that's what you're banking on. Now, I agree. You you don't have a player on this team where you're like, oh, we'll just trade him and get a couple first-round picks and a prospect. Who? Who are you trading? Like, Matt Zuccarello is fantastic, but nobody's giving you the world for him. I don't know who that piece would be. So you can't really blow it up. This is sort of an example of a team that is just perpetually in the playoffs, but not really a cup contender anymore. And they're going to have some challenges in a couple years here trying to avoid just being a team that slowly drops to the bottom of the standings over the course of five, six years. What do you guys make of the Coyotes? We've talked about this a little bit. The, the Coyotes got Derek Stepan. They got Antiranta. But what the Rangers got is, in my mind, I don't even know if he's a project anymore in Anthony D'Angelo, a, a guy who excites the analytics world because he can he can, he can do wonder, wonderful things in the offensive zone, and he, he really handles the puck well, but has immense deficiencies in his own zone. And then you got a, a draft pick, the number seven pick, a center who you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen with that guy right now. What do you make of this trade from the Rangers' end? I'm disappointed you didn't say it the way you put it in the notes of, is Anthony D'Angelo aware that the rink has two ends? <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, it, uh, that's It was that bad in Arizona. And I know a lot of people look past, oh, they got to play D'Angelo more. Well, it, yep. sorry. That I, hate, I hate to be in the watch the game crowd, but wow. He had just glaring, glaring errors he, in his own zone. He is very talented, mm-hmm. and, and I, I did like a lot of aspects of his game, but he absolutely looked like the guy in your adult league that was told he has to play defense because you're short on D that night, and he only wants to play forward. He's he's a, a tremendous weapon, and he's still young. He's still getting better. He could be a, a great asset on the power play, but if you're going to play him consistent minutes on defense, you better pay, pair him with a stay-at-home guy because he, he doesn't play defense yet. No, and he doesn't he, – here's the other knock on him while he was here. There, there wasn't a willingness to embrace that side of the game. There wasn't a willingness. That was the criticism here. Rangers fans will, will not be big fans of Anthony D'Angelo by about Thanksgiving. Well, are Rangers fans big fans of anybody by about Thanksgiving? No, but the, he, the, all of the Rangers' problems that were Dan Girardi's fault will now soon become Anthony D'Angelo's fault. <laughs> he did get he's rid of Girardi, them. right? So they did. Congrats on that. If you're asking about that trade, you know, I think the Coyotes, if you if you have to pick a winner or a loser, I mean, they win. They get Derek Stepan, who is going to be their number one center, is, is a pretty good number two center, and they get a goalie that is unproven as a starter, certainly, but if he does anything near what, what people outside of just Arizona thought he could do, I mean, he was, he was widely regarded as, as a goalie that's ready to take the next step and be a starter by, I think, most people in the league. I'm a big fan of Benoit Allaire's coaching, too. I, yeah. He's done some marvelous things, so when that guy tells you this guy's ready, you put some stock in that. 
But I understand to a certain extent why the Rangers felt like they had to get a top 10 pick because they just haven't had any. But again, when you make that trade, you don't even know who you're getting at number seven. They get Leah Sanderson. You're not going to know how good he is for a couple of years. I, and in this draft, too, right? When you looked at this draft, it, it wasn't the draft where you're like, oh, you, you got to be in the top seven yeah, not yeah. this year's draft. This was a meh draft. Nobody knows. I mean, there will be some good players that come out of this draft, but there were virtually no surefire draft picks in this, this year's draft. And there was a ton of centers taken. Like yeah. out of the, I believe mm-hmm. it was out of the top 21, 19 of the players were, were centers or D. So, I mean, you just – most scouts – sort of said once you get past Heashier and, and Nolan Patrick at the top of the draft, like picks three through 12, 13 are, are sort of just personal preference for whatever GM or, or other scouts are making those picks. So maybe they got somebody there, but we're not going to know for a while. But again, the Rangers, don't, they don't have a lot of prospects on the way because they've, they've consistently been a playoff team. And, and they've moved players and they've moved picks to better themselves, but they just haven't been able to get back over that, that final hump. They're consistently in win-now mode. I just... I. I don't think they'll necessarily be what the Red Wings are now, four years from now, but that's what they need to make sure doesn't happen, right? At a certain point, if they're not, if they continue to slide a little bit, they need to be aware of, you don't want to fall down that slow slope that the Red Wings went down. No, you either embrace it or you go for it, I guess. And I don't, I don't see the pieces here to go for it. So at some point, they're going to have to have that reckoning. They have to recognize that they are not a cup contender anymore. And when, when your roster allows it, when your contract situations allow it, you need to embrace a rebuild. But at this point, heading into this season, I mean, you can't do it now. No. You, are, you are still technically a contender. You're just probably not going to win the cup. Yeah, they're, they're just in a spot now where they're, they're taking their, their puncher's chance. We think we can get in, and we have a goaltender that has the possibility of stealing so many series for us, and we have a, a, a high floor type of team. But I think right now all it is is a hope. I don't think they're one of the... I mean, they're not one of the two or three best teams in the East, clearly. Their biggest mistake was letting Carl Hagelin go because he was the guy that would eliminate the Penguins every year. And ever <laughs> since he joined the Penguins, they've won the Cup both years. So he's always on the ice when either the Rangers or Penguins series ends. But they're victims of being in the Metro Division as well, as is our uh, next team, the New York Islanders. Get excited about Islanders hockey. Craig? That's really hard to get excited about Islanders hockey, isn't it? I mean, even the players can't get excited because they have to step onto the Barclays Center ice which is why the regarded as the worst ice in the NHL. In fact, players have called it dangerous. That's good. <laughs> so, so there's that. There's the fact that the Islanders don't know where they're going to be playing in a couple seasons, even though they just moved. And, oh, yeah, John Tavares isn't signed beyond this year. Other than all that, you know, so, yeah, John Tavares isn't signed. A, a car has the best seat in the house. It really does. <laughs> ice sucks. And, uh, well, hey, but you know what? They did do something interesting. They got Jordan Eberle out of, out of it for a Ryan Strom. That's that true. They that fleeced the a big Oilers. trade. Jamie's the only one of us, I believe, that's been to the Barclays Center for a hockey game, right? Or yes. Have you been there, no, I was there last year. Okay, yeah. so I'm the only one of us that hasn't been. Now, now I just feel left out. But uh, a lot of obstructed viewing, correct? You can at least see the whole ice if you're on the ice, well, right? Well, I, I think there's opportunity once you get past the first period to move down into better seats because there oh, were boy. it was half full when I was there. Yeah, because they're down, you know, they're down 2 nothing and. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a. I, I don't know what to make of this team, and I don't know if John Tavares knows what to make of this team, which might be why he isn't mm. signed to a bigger deal or longer term deal yet. And if he, if if let's just play this scenario out. Let's just say the Islanders get off to a horrible start, and they can't get him signed, and the trade deadline rolls around. Boy, you can get a lot for John Tavares. So you're talking about trading him at the trade deadline versus yeah. The, that would be interesting. 
if he were to somehow hit the free agent market, oh my god! I mean, the bidding would just be insane. Then, then you start looking at the teams with the most cap space, mm-hmm. and teams would start maneuvering to get yeah. that sort of cap space. He's a game changer. There's a lot of these teams that don't have or that do have a lot of cap space right now that are maybe on the rise. If you put John Tavares on them, it's not quite the same as putting Connor McDavid on the Oilers, but it's but it's not too yeah. far what off. What do you think a guy like John Tavares could do for the Arizona Coyotes, who are probably missing that piece, right? If if John Tavares, I don't want this to like sound like we're saying John Tavares is going to the Coyotes, but if we're not if, saying that, okay, no. But if you just want to play out this dream scenario where the Coyotes sign John Tavares in the offseason, they are absolutely a lock to make the playoffs this year and a team that should win series next year. Correct. Yeah, because then you're looking at a center position of Tavares. Well, I don't even know what you do with Dylan Strome at that point. You have Derek Stepan, you have Christian Dvorak, and you have Brad Richardson. You'll figure you, it out. You love that center yeah. position at that point. Look, I mean, and that's just one example. But the bottom line, I guess, is that. When you talk about elite centers, which Craig does a lot on this show, he's, he's one of the top seven in the NHL, right? And, and potentially, I mean, look, he was an MVP candidate just a couple years ago, and I think he would be a perennial MVP candidate if he wasn't on the Islanders. His cap hit is $5.5 million. That's amazing to me. He's the best mm-hmm. value in hockey, other than the fact that McDavid's... Outside of entry-level deals? Yeah, if, yeah outside of entry-level deals, Tavares is, has the best production per dollar. I think in the NHL, if if this franchise loses this player, if they lose this player, it, it, it's catastrophic for them with all the else they've got going on. They won't. They can't, and, right? And, they can't let this happen, can and, they? And that leads me to what my expectations are this season. Do you, I, if I'm an Islanders fan, I'm looking for one thing: get Tavares a long-term deal. Whatever else happens on the ice this year doesn't matter. Why hasn't ha- happened already? Players like that don't no. typically leave. And we're talking the number one overall pick that's lived up to expectations. Yeah. And he was the clear number one when he was drafted. I just I can't think of a lot of players in the NHL that were in that spot that changed teams. Tyler Sagan's the only one. I know he wasn't number one. He ended up going number two. But Sagan's the only one, and, and that was... Wayne Gretzky. That was a trade. Yeah, but that was a whole different thing. I'm thinking yeah. like the last, you know, 10, 15 years. In there, your lifetime? Yes, yes, I'm only 14. Um, there's just it, We've talked so much on the show in the past about how there's not a whole lot of number one overall picks since 2000 that ended up being a bust. Uh, Tavares ended up living up to very lofty. When he was drafted, I mean, we're, they were talking about him as a generational talent. He's been that guy. He plays center. He makes his teammates better. The Islanders just can't consistently put good players around him. And when they do, they trade him away. Underrated defensive player, too, by the way. Yeah. He yeah. was among my votes for uh, the Selkie last year. Uh, what about Josh Hosang? I feel like he's gonna he's gonna stir some things up this year. Can we talk about how stupid? I'm okay. I'm gonna my opinion. How stupid this whole what number he wears controversy is. <laughs> I don't know if I got a chance to do that last year. Do it. It's ridiculous. Who cares if he's gonna wear sixty six? Who cares? If Mario Lemieux doesn't care, I don't know why anybody else cares. And if and if if Mario Lemieux cared, he shouldn't care. But he doesn't care. So you're right. I, I this don't, is dumb. I don't understand why it is. Such a big deal, but I mean, he he hasn't done anything bad, but he doesn't seem to mind inviting controversy in his direction. Very minor controversy, but we've seen this in the past. He, in the NHL. he embraces it. He does. I mean, he 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 doesn't he doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't try to avoid it, and I think that's kind of why he's become this kind of lightning rod, even going back to juniors. But of all the things to worry about, him wearing sixty six is. Just, again, who cares? But I think that's... I want to get that off my chest. Do you feel better? A little bit, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, we're here for you, Jamie. I, he's just an example of if you sort of 
go against the old school thinking in the NHL. Is there does that sort of thing exist in the NHL? Some, sometimes, okay. yeah. Uh, if you if you do that, you open yourself up to criticism. Like I don't know, pick pick just some random player. Like if, well, I guess Austin Matthews isn't a random player. Let's say Mitch Marner was wearing number sixty six, not getting nearly the criticism. He just isn't. And he's in the spotlight more than Josh Hosang because he plays in Toronto. But I think the simple fact that there's already people out there that don't really like him and aren't rooting for him to have success, he does something like that, and, and it's just another excuse to sort of pile on him. You guys got anything else on the Islanders? Well, uh, what do, you, do you agree that this, this trade, Everly for Strom, was a, just a steal? Yes. I, I don't understand it, to be honest. I don't know what Edmonton's thinking. It's, let's trade all our good wings to the New York area for pennies on the dollar. Maybe that was it. Yeah. It's being spun in Edmonton like it was a good hockey move. It's just a salary cap move, yeah. right? Well, and, I think they were unhappy with Eberle in the postseason. He was terrible like in the playoffs yeah, this year. he was, but I think that got magnified. Yeah, but... the body work, again. But again, why, why sell for pennies on the dollar? I mean, you, you could say, hey, we need to move this player. You tell me there's nobody out there that would give you more value than Ryan Strom. There was no other offer of picks or players that were better than that. I have a hard time believing that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. It, it's, it feels like, like I understand why Edmonton felt like they needed to trade Jordan Eberle, and they'll probably need to trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and if they could, they probably need to trade Milan Lucic, because at some point you're going to need some money to, to build a roster around Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But there are times, and look, I get that making the move last year for Adam Larson made the defense better. But there, it's just there's times where it feels like Peter Chiarelli calls a GM, wants to make a trade, they make an offer, and he just takes it. He doesn't talk to anybody else. So it's like if you needed to dump cap space or create cap space, trade Jordan Everly for Ryan Strom. I guess it gets it done. But you probably could have got somebody else for yeah, a guy. Just work that, the phones a little harder. Yeah. I mean, he's had a really good career, and he's only 27. Talking about a guy that's gone over 34 goal, or he's hit the 34 goal mark once. He's 76 points. He's gone over 60 points three times out of the seven years he's been in the NHL. He's consistently 25 goals. I know he only had 20 last year. That was a down year, but consistently in the mid 20s in goals, and consistently right up around 50, 60 points. You can get more. Yeah, uh, I wanted to mention one other thing because w- when they started assembling this blue line a couple seasons ago when they signed when they got Johnny Boychuk and they got Nick Letty in the same offseason I I thought this was a good move for the Islanders and I thought it was really going to help them take a step forward it really hasn't uh, I like Nick Letty still I think he's the kind of defenseman you need to have but when you look at Johnny Boychuk's analytics they're not very good he's only two years into this seven-year 42 million dollar deal he's 33 years old is this in in the final analysis or in the analysis right now? Is is he a disappointment, and is this only going to get worse? I don't know that it's necessarily going to get worse, but yeah, he probably has to be a disappointment at this point. And I don't say that in the sort of you know through the lens where you look and you're like, oh, that was a bad move. If I remember right, the Islanders basically went out and scooped up Boychek and Letty within a couple hours mm-hmm. of each other. I mean, it was right near the start of the season. Teams had to shed cap mm-hmm. uh, constraints, and and they were able to step in. I liked the moves when they happened, but. You know, and he was he was pretty good that first year, but then when you have to pay him a lot, yeah, I mean you're you're paying him like he's an elite defenseman and he isn't. Yeah, I mean those are my thoughts exactly. Where I, I like the moves when they when they happened, exactly. But a lot of times it become becomes yeah, but it becomes that uh, that scenario where you then you have to co- that next contract that comes up. 
what do you end up paying for and what are you going to end up getting down the line? And they're not going to get enough value out of that deal from Johnny Boychuk. Final thought on the Islanders. Where will they be playing long term? Jamie and I are like, we're this close to finishing yeah, each it's other's you, you're sentences. Like, you're wearing, sentences. You're, I was going to say sentences. Shirts, so I'm looking at So are you. Kinda, yeah. Hey, you're one of us. Okay. One of us. One <laughs> See, you finished my sentence again. Jeez. So where, <laughs> where are the Islanders playing long term? Not in the playoffs. Kansas not, City. Not, no, no, I'm not. Oh boy, Long yeah. Island, Brooklyn, uh, Queens, Manhattan, <laughs> Quebec. Where are they going? What, what's going to happen with this team? What's going to happen with this team if they lose Tavares? Who's going to want them? Well, I hope they stay in the New York area. I hate it when teams Long move. Island, I guess. I mean, because this is an interesting relationship where neither the building or the team want to do anything with each other anymore. Gary Bettman doesn't <laughs> want to play in there. He doesn't consider that a viable option to play a Long Island long term, at least not in the, the Coliseum. Yeah, so... so I, I, I don't know. know how this one gets solved because the cost of building an arena in, in yeah, New York good City... Luck. When, I mean, when, it, when it's all said and done, it's probably like an $800 million project. Well, that's that's cheap. How's that happening? That top defensive pairing really is Nick Letty and Johnny Boychuk, isn't it? It is. That, that's not going to cut it. I mean, if you look at this team, not to just totally blow off your question there, Craig, but I don't have an answer to it. If you look at this team outside of John Tavares, they're just not. <laughs> Matthew Barzal is kind of intriguing. Josh Bailey was good when he played with John Tavares. But you're basically John Tavares, Jordan Eberle, and that's it. Yeah. And, yeah, they, and, they and the fin- best fourth line in hockey. Yeah, they put a lot of effort into that. <laughs> they sure did. And they, they finished a lot of money into that. They finished ninth in the East, too, which I think is probably right about right. Like ninth, tenth, that, that's kind of yeah. where they should be. I, suppose, I, don't, I don't see a lot of upside here. I don't see a lot of, well, if the A, B, and C happens, they're all of a sudden the second team in the Atlantic. I just I don't, or Metro, like, I don't see it. I just... I can't see them. They're just there. A lot of teams would have to slip up, and that's not just teams in front of them. It would have to be teams behind them. We talk about teams like Tampa Bay jumping in and and making a run, potentially in the playoffs. You're already looking at teams that have to drop out for them to get in. The Islanders, I I just don't see them moving up at all. Like Jamie said, their their biggest goal for this season better be keeping John Tavares long term. So there's a reason why we we waited till Team 30 to preview the Islanders. There's not a reason why we waited till. Team 31 to preview the Calgary Flames. We're going to do that next and wrap things up. All right, we are, uh, we're, we've made it through 30 teams. This is our final team preview for the 2017-18 season. The Calgary Flames, a team on the rise, a dangerous team in the West. We're joined now by Eric Duhatschek from The Athletic Calgary. You can find him on Twitter at E-D-U-H-A-T-S-C-H-E-K. Eric, thanks so much for the time. Let's start with the, uh, the big news of the day, Yarmer Yager is a member of the Calgary Flames. We were all hoping he would end up somewhere. What, in your mind, does he bring to this team? Well, I mean, he brings a lot. I think that what the Flames realized after going through training camp was that uh, they, they were really thin on the right side. Uh, you know, Michael Furlan is playing on the on the top line. He's a, a, a banger and a crasher and, and doesn't have, you know, tremendous finish. And, you know, as much as they really like Michael Furlick and the chemistry he has with Michael Backlund, that's the de facto checking line. And so, you know, they've got a young player, Sam Bennett, who they believe has a, has a big-time upside. And he really hasn't got a whole lot of support or players to play with. And, you know, they were hoping that Troy Brower would have a better camp 
that this year after not a not so great first season in Calgary, and it didn't go particularly well in training camp for him. They brought in Curtis Lazar from Ottawa last year at, at the trading deadline, thinking that a you know, change of scenery would get his career back on track. He didn't really take advantage of the opportunity in training camp. So I think that they felt that you know they have a team that they believe that can contend uh, in in the Pacific Division, but I think they also felt that they were a piece or two short. So so I think that in bringing in a guy like Yager, they feel that uh, if they'll play him some protected minutes on the third line, five on five, and then I think that they'll probably have him on the number one power play with uh, Johnny Gaudreau and, and Sean Monaghan, and I think they hope that you know, he can do for them what, what he did in Florida the, the last couple of years, which is you know create some opening for, for talented off- young offensive players. I think that his presence, you know, that sort of eminence, grease uh, personality that, that he brings, I think they, they hope that, you know, that that will spill over into the dressing room too and, and teach some of these young players about uh, about work ethic and, and what it takes to win in the National Hockey League. So it's a bit of a roll of the dice. Um, the coach here, Glenn Gullitson, has a history with Yager when Yager played for a short time with Dallas. Uh, I think it was 2012, 2013-2013. Uh, that was the, the lockout season. Uh, Gullitson was the coach there. Yager called him on Sunday to discuss, you know, what Gullitson saw uh, as his role with the team. And I think on the basis of that conversation, Yager decided to, to come to Calgary. I, you know, St. Louis, I know, was was talking to him as well because, of course, the injury to Robbie Fabry there has, you know, created a need for, for scoring help as well. And ultimately, Yager opted to come to Calgary. Um, they're doing the paperwork now. Uh, they have to get the visa done. So it'll probably be Friday before he arrives and I, I don't think like it's possible he could be in the lineup Saturday for the home opener but it's more likely that it'll be next week uh, when he starts playing for them but but they feel that he can make a difference in a year where they need to to be better than they were a year ago you mentioned Sam Bennett in there uh, in your mind and I guess the organization's mind how do they feel about his development so far and then sort of tying that back into Yager do you do you see Yager as a guy that can step in and and help a guy like Bennett or maybe does it even put more pressure on him because he might be skating alongside one of the best players of all time well, I talked about it about it today, and uh, first of all, you know, we agreed that Yager was six years into his NHL career, the year that Bennett was born. So, you know, he's old enough to be his father, and and, and everybody had a good laugh oh, about that. But no, I, I like he was genuinely excited. I mean, you can tell when people are are giving boilerplate answers, and then you can tell when oh my God, it's Yarmir Yager, right? So it was more of the latter than the former. Um, you know, in terms of Bennett's development, uh, they. They, they made a, a conscious decision, and this goes on all the time in the National Hockey League. Is a guy a four? Is a guy a winger, or is a guy a center? So you look at Montreal with Alex Galchenyuk. You know, for the longest time, you know, he came up as a center. It's easier to make the transition to the National Hockey League when you play on the wing. So an awful lot of teams will do that, with a view to maybe moving the guy back to the middle. You know, once he's more established, once he's gotten, you know, grown into his his physically mature body, once he's got a sense of what what the the league is like, and and I think that in in the case of Sam Bennett, when he came in, you know they put him on the wing with Froelich and and Backlund. He was good. That was the best hockey he probably has ever played in the National Hockey League. But they believe that his skill set is uh, will, will make him up like a really good center in the National Hockey League for a long time. And, and they're just so hard to develop. It's just hard to find, and it's hard to develop the a center. So they have they invested a year in him last year, and they are investing time in him again this year, knowing that it would be uh, easier to 
and and a safer uh, thing to to put him on the wing. They want him to be the center. What they imagine here is, you know, if Monaghan is the number the one center, if he is the two center, if if Backlund can be that all important three guy, and then they have a young prospect named Mark Jankowski, who had a terrific first pro season in Stockton this past year. That I, I'm not sure if he's going to actually make the cuts because of this Yager signing, but he he is close to playing in the National Hockey League, and they they will be one to four deep down the middle very soon with young talented guys and but part of that is keeping Bennett at center so they're investing the time in him he seems prepared to to live with it I mean it, it means that he isn't getting the, the you know the time on the power play uh, it's affected his numbers uh, you know the fact that his numbers weren't great last year affected the contract that he got you know the player taken just directly ahead of him in the draft was Leon Dreisaitl who got nine gazillion dollars from Edmonton and Bennett signed for 1.95 uh, per year for two years so he hasn't hit the financial home run yet but i think that they believe that in two years time if they allow him to play center and develop and flourish he's going to be a really good player for him and a really important part of of you know putting out a winning program eric i want to dive into the nuts and bolts to uh, figure out how sound this structure is in just a minute but a big picture question for you and and brad tree living is always couched his answers to me on this very question. I don't I don't think he wants to place any pressure on the team. I think he wants to be very careful about setting expectations, but are the Calgary Flames ready to contend and is that the expectation this season? I would say the answer is yes and yes. Now, you know, again, uh, you know, I, I believe that you can, at, at this time of year, for virtually for every team in the National Hockey League, you can do a best-case scenario and a worst-case scenario. So, you know, imagine Dallas last year. I mean, everything that could go wrong did. I mean, the goaltending fell apart after not being too bad the year before. I mean, they won the Central, right? So, um, you know, the, the key players got hurt. Um, you know, the, the losing started, it just, you know, and everything spiraled downhill. And, you know, on you know the other opposite side of that was Columbus, a team that really wasn't expected to do very much, and everything clicked into place, and then all of a sudden they're winning 16 games in a row, and how is that even possible? And and so, so you know, that, and Dallas was a 109-point team the year before, and the bottom fell out for them, and Columbus was the worst uh, team in, in the Metropolitan Division, and, and they were by the end of the year, Stanley Cup contender. So lots can go right and lots can go wrong for any team in every year. And in Calgary, there's, you know, is Mike Smith going to come in and, and play at a high level for them? Based on the last exhibition game, it looked really good. And it looked like the defense were starting to get uh, uh, some chemistry going with him. He plays the game differently than, than Brian Elliott, his predecessor, just handles the puck like twice as, twice as, uh, as well. And so I think if the goaltending holds up, because I'm not sure that they have a ton of confidence in the back of Eddie Lack, um, then, then I think all the other pieces click into place because they have they have balanced scoring up front. They have four defensemen that are as, probably as deep as any defense core in the National Hockey League. One to four drops off a little bit after that. So I, I think they believe that they, they are going to be competitive in this division, and I think some of the changes that they've made were designed specifically to be competitive against Edmonton. You know, one of the things that's, uh, that's happened here in, in Alberta, once upon a time you know the best teams in hockey were in Alberta when it was the Gretzky Oilers and the Gilmore Newendike Flames and there hasn't really been uh, much of a rivalry lately I mean you know people pay lip service to the fact that there's a rivalry they haven't met in the playoffs since 1991 during that period of time you know Edmonton was terrible most of the time Calgary wasn't much better a lot of the time They, they missed the playoffs more often than they made the playoffs so 
the rivalry has been dormant for a long, long time, and it seems to be coming to life again now because Edmonton has this really exciting young team, and Calgary thinks that they're they're right there with them. Walk us through the Travis Hamannick trade for a second here, because Calgary gave up a lot. A first, 2018 first-round pick, a couple different second-round picks, uh, fourth-round pick. There's some conditions on all of those. What was Brad Treliving's thought process to bring in a guy like Hamannick to bolster an already strong defensive unit? Well, I think they 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 realize that um, if, if the path to you know Western Conference Championship eventually has to go through Edmonton, you'll have to find a way to defend against Connor McDavid, Holman on the road, and in the on the nights when they're playing Drysital, apart from McDavid, you will have to have two defense pairs that you have confidence in that can go out there and defend against against some of the best talent in the world. And they just didn't feel that they had that, so they were they have been satisfied with the way. Uh, Giordano and Hamilton have played together as the number one pair. I think a lot of the analytics people will tell you that uh, that they you know there's there's analytics to, to suggest that they were the best duo in in the National Hockey League. Whether they were or weren't it might be a matter of some de- uh, debate, but they were really good together. And then T.J. Brody is a left-handed shot who played the right side an awful lot uh, uh, early in his career. When Glenn, Glenn Gulletson came in as the coach, he said, "No, you're a left side defenseman." And they have been searching for a partner for him for a long time and uh, you know Michael Stone when he came in played with him a little bit at the end of last year they just felt that they needed an upgrade at that position and they felt that they needed two pairs so that when they're on the road they're opening the season in Edmonton if they can't get Giordano and Hamilton out against McDavid just because of the matchup game they feel confident now that with Hamannick and Brody they have a pair that can also play against the best players in the league so you're right it was a steep cost Uh, I think they feel that they have the young uh, defensemen in the pipeline now that uh, that they can live without those high, the high draft choices next year. You know they they like the the kid that they got uh, last year, Valimaki, and Rasmus Anderson has been in the minors. He's just been returned to the minors. He's going to put another year in there. But they believe that this guy's an NHLer um, within one to two years. So they, I think they feel that you know as their defense core ages a little bit, they have two pieces that are going to be ready in the next one to three years and and i think that they felt that they could then roll the dice and give up these draft choices to get a guy that's in the here and now and isn't that old and will probably you know can play for a long time uh, for them going forward eric what's the ceiling for guys like sean monahan and, and uh, johnny gaudreau and, and in your mind who will be their line mate uh, to s- at least start the season well, uh, the ceiling is a great question because two years ago, Gaudreau was tied for sixth in the National Hockey League in scoring. And, and to be honest, I, 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 I know that they themselves didn't know when they turned him pro how good he would be because you know, you know, every everybody who plays you know at a high level in junior and then goes on to the next level and then plays a high level in college. Not everybody takes the you know that type of performance and and duplicates it at the NHL level and and for some people it, you know you just you go from being a star in college to being a, a serviceable journeyman at the NHL level but Gaudreau has come in and and just he's able to avoid contact you know he's he's got you know great hockey sense finds the seams in in, in the zone doesn't get hurt much of it was a little bit unlucky to to break his uh, his finger on a slash last year but but you know a lot of times you think guys like that are going to get clobbered and and they don't so 
I think he's capable of being a top ten scorer in the league. I think he's a creative guy that they they like a lot. And you know, Monahan is you know kind of there's a yin and yang going on there because you know while Gaudreau is you know lift you out of your seat fun, you know Monahan is just that sturdy, resolute professional. It reminds me a lot of Joe Newendike. In fact, the comparison that a lot of people here use is that if Monahan can be the Newendike of this generation and Bennett can be the Gilmore of this generation and then Backlund can be the Otto of this generation, you're duplicating the same pieces that, that you won a championship with in, in 1989. So, you know, I think Monaghan is, is he, had, he had an off, he had a poor start to, to last season, because, partly because of an injury, and he still managed 58 points. I, I think he's a 75-point guy in the National Hockey League, has a lot of those same leadership attributes that a, that a Steve Eiserman has, cares about winning, doesn't worry too much about his individual stats. They just think that you can win with a guy like that. And for now, anyway, they've got Furlan playing on that line, and there hasn't been a good fit there since uh, Yuri Hoodler was traded away to Florida. I think they're reluctant to, to even talk about Yager in, in that place, although that could be somewhere where he ends up in 20 games. But I think that they would like to, as I say, play Yager uh, in protected minutes. And I think that they like what Furlan does in terms of providing a physical presence and create a little bit more space for, for Gaudreau. So I think that's how they're going to start the season, and then I guess they'll see how it goes. All right, let's chat a little more about a guy you brought up earlier, a guy we know well here. Calgary's Achilles heel the last couple seasons has been goaltending. The Brian Elliott experiment did not work out. Now you have Mike Smith. Um, this feels like a gamble for, for those of us in Arizona who watched him the last few years. He actually played very well last season. Obviously, Brad knows him well. Why is Mike Smith a fit for the Flames? Well, I think they like a lot of things about him. They like his competitiveness. They like the fact that uh, that he moves the puck as well. I, you know, I had a conversation with him about ten days ago. Where we were just talking a little bit about the art of goaltending, and uh, about you know moving the puck, and you know how he learned to move the puck, and you know all the things that he learned from Sean Burke in, in Phoenix, and then uh, Marty Turco in Dallas before that. And after we were about 10 or 12 minutes into the conversation, I said, has anyone actually asked you about stopping the puck so far in training camp? And he laughed and he said, no, nobody's asking that. And I said, that it's kind of funny, isn't it? That, you know, that the number one job of a goaltender is to stop the puck. And yet that, that was almost the last thing that, that, uh, that people talked about when, when it came to Mike Smith. But, you know, that is the most important thing is, you know, he needs to stop the puck. And there were times last year when, when Brian Elliott was quite good. I mean, he had a poor start and he had a, a very poor playoff. But there was about a 55-game stretch from about, you know, the third to the fourth week of November on until really until the end of the season when he was very good for them in goal. And the main reason that, well, one of the main reasons that they made the playoffs after such a poor start was the fact that this guy really steadied the goaltending down. So I think that they they feel that, that Smith can, can do that. And then, the you know, the puck handling dimension, they're excited about what three-on-three is going to look like, the way he moves the puck up. Um, I just think that they 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 feel that that Smith still has some uh, good years left on that odometer. That even at that 35, he's not old, and that uh, that he can you know on on a better team. You know, Arizona was a team in transition. This is a team that that feels that they're a little bit further along the development arc, and they they believe that 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 you know with their better defense and and their attention to defensive detail, that uh, that Smith you know, will will be good enough in, in this system. And, you know, certainly on the basis of what we saw in the final exhibition game Saturday against Winnipeg, he was excellent. And it looks like the comfort level that it takes 
for a, a, goal, a new goaltender to get used to playing with defense and forwards that he's not used to playing with other than Stone, um, it, it's starting to come. And so you can't wave a magic wand and expect that to happen instantly. I think people do expect that, and, and if it doesn't go well right off the hop, it's like, is there something wrong? I think you have to give it time, take a deep breath, and look at you know where things are at the end of the month. Certainly, if you were looking for positive signs, the final exhibition uh, game of the season uh, gave you that. Dougie Hamilton had a fantastic year last year. He seems to be really hitting his stride in Calgary. I know the organization is happy with him. Do you see him taking on an even bigger role this season? And, and look, I mean, this is somebody that might even be a Norris contender at some point here down the line. Well, Dougie Hamilton's a really interesting uh, uh, guy um, in the sense that he's he, he's he is so so quiet. Uh, you know, he's been here a couple of years, and I you know I actually did a, a longer story on him uh, um, just in the last uh, you know seven or eight days. And uh, you know, he doesn't drive, for example. You know, he lives with his brothers. Older brothers are checking forward on the flames. His brother that you know drives to the rink. Uh, you know, they cook together. They you know they're they're pretty inseparable. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that I think is extremely sensitive. Uh, felt that he was kind of run out of Boston. Uh, just you know, uh, you know, you talk sometimes about. Um, about the care and feeding of, of players, and there are some players that you just need to pay more attention to to their comfort levels. And and, and Hamilton was was pretty open about this. That you know that after uh, you know the first half of his first season here, where he didn't feel very comfortable, he started to to get comfortable in the city. And more than anything else, I think that the strides you've seen in his game on the ice came after he he just got used to his new situation. And he clearly likes it here. He likes the situation that he's in. The one thing that I like about him as a player on the ice is that on this after uh, you know you get past Brent Burns I don't know that there's anybody in the National Hockey League that gets the puck to the net better than Hamilton does that thing that Burns does where he walks the line where he changes the angle on the shot where you know he gets the the, the feet on his stick and, and he gets the puck through if there's room for a one timer if if you can't get the you know the stick all the way back to you know the, up around your ears you know Hamilton like Burns is able to snap it you know six or eight inches away from the puck and get it through to the net and he does that really really well and it's a it's a it's, it's a, a necessary skill in the way the game is played because there's so much shot blocking and there's so it is so difficult a lot of times to get the puck through to the net and create that sort of scramble around the goaltenders that creates goals and that is the one thing that he does really well and he plays here with with Mark Giordano who's just one of those really unheralded underrated guys that just you know, it calms everything down on the ice. So the two of them together are, are a really good pair. And I think that, you know, if you talk about him in, as a candidate for the Norris Trophy, I wouldn't put him at that level yet. I, I still think that there's a gap between, you know, the Drew Dowdies of the world and, and the Eric Carlson's, even the Ryan Suiters, the, um, you know, the, the, the Shea Webbers, the, you know, the P.K. Subans. I, I, I would say that Hamilton is just one level below that, but he's still a young guy learning, you know, learning this job. And I think that as that comfort level increases, he is going to be somebody that, uh, you know, that becomes uh, a star in the league. Uh, you know, he's close to that now. I don't think he's there yet, but, but, but he's getting there. Eric Duhatschek, great uh, insights on a team with tremendous upside. Thanks for the uh, the time here, and enjoy what should be a real fun season. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks, thanks Eric. That's Eric Duhatschek from the Athletic Calgary. Uh, Calgary is a team that is 
flying under radars, but very dangerous in the West because I think that in terms of the the younger teams around the NHL, they have done a, a real good job of of they're not over overly reliant on any one team. I like how we got through 31 teams of previews, and it took me to the 31st team before I could uh, forget how to speak English. But we're there now, so somebody else talk. I, I'm fascinated by this team for a number of reasons. First of all, the blue line. The addition of Travis Hammond, it gives this team the best blue line outside of Nashville in the NHL. And as we've discussed before, Ryan Ellis is out for Nashville. So at the start of the season, Calgary might have the best blue line in hockey. That's a big start. They've got some really dynamic young players. you got to love watching Johnny Gaudreau play hockey. If Sam Bennett can take this next step with Yarmir Yager as his wingman, shepherding through the process, then they're really deep up the middle, too. They look good there. Mike Smith is a big wild card on this team. If, if you get the good Mike Smith, this team could be really dangerous because there are times when Mike Smith can simply dominate games, and he does change the way you play in your own end because he can handle the puck so well. Like so many teams in the West, I don't know what to expect. They, they could go a couple ways here, but I do think there's a lot of upside with the Calgary Flames right now. And a lot of the credit goes to their general manager it does. for building this product. I mean, the, the one flaw, the one bad move that Brad's made probably is the Troy Brower contract. Other than that, when you look at what he's done to build this roster, it's been impressive. Yeah, and then they have key people in the areas where other teams envy you having key people, having, you know, forward, having two different defensive pairings that are considered upper tier, which again helps them against their Alberta rivals. Having those pieces down the middle, especially if Sam Bennett can take another step forward this year and kind of become the player that everybody thought he was going to be. Goaltending, like you said, is, is going to be a little bit of the wild card, but that's insulated a bit when you have a good, strong defensive unit yes. in front of you. There are There is less opportunity for blow-up games. There are always going to be some. You're always going to allow a lot of shots at some point, in, in no matter how good your, your blue line is. But this is a team that I look at and I say, they're not getting the attention that the Torontos and Edmontons of the world are getting, but the foundation under this team is stronger than it is under either of those other two. Matthew Kachuk, we didn't even really talk yeah, about him, but say that. that's a guy that put up 48 points last year, 13 goals. I mean, if he, even if he just does that again, this, this feels like a playoff team, and we'll do our playoff preview or our season preview, I guess I should say, later on in the week, but... Uh, if it got to a point where Edmonton and Calgary met in a best-of-seven oh, series... That'd be pretty fun. I understand certainly people around here would, would prefer a different team made the team or the playoffs rather over Edmonton or Calgary, and certainly it's probably that way for you know every other fan base except those two. But just if you if you looked at it in a vacuum, Edmonton versus Calgary in a best of seven, I don't think anybody's going to turn that series off because now it's not just two teams claiming to have a rivalry that was relevant 30 years ago. These are two of the teams on the rise in the Western Conference, and they're, they're, they're different. Edmonton is really built on two guys right now. Calgary is built as a team with a really good defense and two pretty talented forwards up front in Monaghan and Goudreau, but they've got other weapons with Bennett and Kachuk. And I understand that Mike Smith is a risk. I get that. But I like the move to go get him for Calgary specifically because he can take over a playoff series. And they just really haven't had goaltending for the last few years. There's going to be games, look, where this team goes out there and the forwards play well and the defense plays well. And Smith just, he makes, he does something weird in his own end. There's going to be games where he loses the, the, the game for Calgary, where the rest of the team played well enough to win. But when he gets on a roll, as we've seen him do in Arizona in the past, if he does that in the playoffs that makes this team that much more dangerous. Yeah, and I have I have no reason to believe that Smith at this point in his career is one of the 12 best goaltenders in the league, but I think he was a little better than what the perception of him was at the end of his time in Arizona. It's tough to play 
in that kind on that kind of team. It really is. It just takes a toll on you after a while when you're giving up a lot of shots all the time. You're giving up quality opportunities and let's face it, you're playing on a team that really doesn't have much of a chance to win. That's that just wears on you. And I, I'm not I'm not excusing Mike Smith because there were times where he just didn't play well for this team and he didn't handle himself well, let's be honest about it. At times, he threw his team under the bus, uh, especially in that last regular season game, Yeah, which was which was weird to see. But this this might be a good situation. Again, Brad knows him really well. And I, there are other pieces to like about this team, too. We haven't even talked about Michael Backlund, who no. was a Selkie Trophy candidate. And I, I felt like came out of nowhere, maybe two seasons ago when he had his first big season. That's a terrific piece to have as your third-line center. I love Michael Froelich, too. Terrific penalty killer. One of the best in the mm-hmm. league, in my opinion. They have a lot of pieces on this club. I feel like they become a fan favorite with Yarmir Yager on yeah. on the uh, on the team now too. What fifty seven games away from two thousand in his career? I mean, it's it's a uh, they're going to be a team to watch. And, and you know, if you want to go back to Mike Smith for a second, you're right. It's not like he's a guy that ever gets in trouble off the ice. He's a good guy and everything. But there are games where he, and I'm sure it's frustration. I'm sure he's not the only goalie, but there he's going to speak his mind. And a lot of times that's a good thing. But sometimes. Sometimes it's not so great, and he could kind of get away with it in Arizona because it's a young team around him, and you know they had Shane Doan in the locker room to sort of clean things up when, when people said things maybe they shouldn't say. It's a little bit different when you're in Calgary, and if you're saying something bad about Mark Giordano or Travis Hamnick or the, the defense that's in front of you that might be the best in the NHL right now. So I will be interested to see how he uh, responds because yeah. yeah, they're going to lose games. They're not going 82-0. and 0. Not complaining, though, as a reporter, right? <laughs> No, no. Mike Mike Smith was a locker you definitely went to after a game because you might get some gold. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, gentlemen, I believe that's going to do it for us. We have gone through all 31 NHL teams. We've previewed them all. This was exciting. The season is nearly upon us. We're going to do a season preview podcast later on this week. So, uh... So get ready for that. Yes, and make sure to subscribe uh, to the Natural Hattrick podcast on iTunes so Craig can feed his children. Please do that. That's very important. But I'd also like to to plug and thank all the uh, beat writers that we had on over over the course of the the 10 weeks this summer who gave us incredible insights on these teams. Follow beat writers. They do a great job. They do they they provide an invaluable service. Yeah, that's uh, wow. (laughs) I felt like a PSA there at the very end. But I agree. Craig stood up on a soapbox before we did this last summer and said, you're not going to find people that know more about the ins and outs of a team. And, you know, there's even stuff they can't say because it's off the record, but they know it. And so it sort of drives what what uh, what stories they go after. So to talk to, I don't know exactly how many we spoke to, but about 20 of the 31 teams we spoke to the beat writer, actually maybe even a little bit more, very insightful. There was stuff, I, th- I feel like the three of us know a lot about this league, but I learned stuff over the last 10 weeks. Not from Craig or Jamie, but from some of the beat writers, obviously. That's how we're in. Absolutely. All right. For Craig and Jamie, who taught me nothing, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.